it's not as wild as everyone wants to think it is. There is a lot of regulatory agencies in the United States, and there are a lot of good actors in the cryptocurrency world that are following those rules. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Mary Ann Bullion. And Mary Ann is in the crypto industry. So, first of all, I have to acknowledge you are the first person from your industry who has come on the Innovation and Compliance Podcast. So kudos, but most importantly, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really excited to be able to share compliance and crypto information with you. So you've got a really interesting professional background. I'd like to spend a little bit of time you sharing that with the audience. Could you tell us where you went to college and what you did after college? Regarding university, I went to undergrad at a small school called Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama to Jesuit school. Go Badgers. And then for law school, I went to the University of Miami in Florida. So go Hurricanes. So both of those were my alma maters. But when I graduated law school, it was just before the 2008 financial crisis. So when I began my career, I spent a short time as a public defender, and then I moved into a boutique litigation practice that represented banks and local government entities. By 2009, the economics of the time required me to pivot from that practice, and I ended up joining the FDIC and the Army. So I am a native Texan. I've lived in the South all my life. Half my family's from Alabama, and you do not sound like you're from Alabama. So I am not. <laughs> okay, well, that explains <laughs> that. Well, cool. So you went to the Army. Tell us about what you did in the Army and how that may have either helped influence your professional career later or really some of the things you learned during your time serving our country. Yeah, so it was actually pretty interesting. I joined the Army, like I said, in 2009. It was kind of a childhood dream. My grandparents met at Fort Riley, Kansas, after they both enlisted in the Army during World War II. My father was in the Navy and the Peace Corps prior to his career in finance. So I'd always kind of dreamed of serving my country, and I found the opportunity within the JAG Corps. So I was a reservist, so I did work full-time at the FDIC, and then on the weekends, I, I completed my reserve JAG duty, and then also completed JAG school basic training, some of those other requirements that are part of the reserve community as well. So what what was your JAG Corps experience like? It was exciting. It's a lot different than working in a law firm or a different environment. There is a physical component to it. I always like to say that one of our favorite activities especially during basic training, for example, was not only did you have to answer legal questions, but you had to do it throughout obstacle courses, right? So, you know, you'd have your weapon and you'd run and jump and all these things, and then you'd have to stop and answer legal questions. It sounds kind of funny, but in in real life, these are some of the questions you're going to be asked as an attorney out on the field. So it's when can the soldiers do certain things? When are they allowed to do X, Y, Z? And so... It's a very exciting training. Let's just say we had a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and it was something that I definitely enjoyed. So you were also the second person I've interviewed who had some tenure with the FDIC and you were in the professional liability and financial crime section. What was that experience like for you? 
Thanks, Tom. Yeah, the FDIC is very unique regulatory agency. So it sounds like your listeners know a little bit more than the average person about the FDIC. But just to kind of go into it to explain where I was myself within the organization, it is formed as a corporation. There are three primary business lines. So there's the deposit insurance project, the regulatory examinations, and the receivership section. Receivership section is basically managing the failed banks. So I was hired in the professional liability financial crime section, part of the legal division, which advises the receivership section, meaning that we primarily worked with failing banks, failed or failing banks. Our job was to investigate the reason behind all of the bank failures, and then we would work to bring civil liability claims, criminal liability claims via kind of referrals to the DOJ and regulatory enforcement actions. So for my first three years, I spent almost every weekend closing a bank and conducting some kind of internal investigation into the bank failure. And then in the first three years of my career, we would go from the investigations to bringing civil professional liability legal actions to recover deposit insurance funds, primarily against directors and officers of failed institutions. I particularly specialized in mortgage fraud. So did that role change when you moved to work with the FDIC in D.C.? It did. So in 2015, it's still within the same kind of section. So I'm still advising the receivership section. I'm still working with failed banks, but I moved into the financial crimes unit. So similar to what I had been doing before, except I would take the same information from the investigations and we would build relationships with law enforcement and the Department of Justice prosecutors to assist them in bringing criminal actions against individuals, bank employees or bank vendors who participated in criminal mortgage fraud schemes. One of my favorite parts of the position was actually being appointed as a special U.S. attorney and being able to participate in the actual trial work and the prosecution. And then one of my other favorite parts of that position was being a member of the National Bank Fraud Working Group, where I got to meet with regulatory agency and law enforcement representatives to work on financial crime investigation best practices so this is actually where I was initially introduced to and developed a passion for cryptocurrency. So it was interesting, you know, back in 2013, 2014, cryptocurrency was just being mentioned out in the world and it was just kind of coming to the attention of regulators. And it came to our attention through a few criminal conspiracies that cryptocurrency was involved in. So in 2018, you moved into the private sector. What was your first role in the private sector? I am still in my first role, Tom, but my first role out of the government was the general counsel here at Bitcoin IRA. So, yeah, I went straight from the government right into crypto. So forgive my ignorance, but looking in from the outside, it appears to me crypto is the Wild West. And <laughs> I can't think of a better situation for a general counsel than to be in the Wild West. If that is fair or not fair, how would you characterize it? as in your role as the general counsel. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie, Tom. It was an interesting time. When it was 2018, I was at the FDIC. There were definitely a few of my colleagues who thought I was throwing my career away. The first couple of months after I was working at Bitcoin IRA, my mom called to make sure that my checks were clearing. But I'll be honest with you, it's not as wild as everyone wants to think it is. There is a lot of regulatory agencies in the United States and there are a lot of good actors in the cryptocurrency world that are following those rules. 
So I was actually introduced to Camilo Concha, who's the CEO of Bitcoin IRA. I talked to him a few times and I realized that this was a company that was going to support compliance professionals, compliance roles. The general counsel chief compliance office was one of their first big hires next to the CTO. So I realized quickly that while we weren't sure exactly what regulations needed to be followed vis-a-vis the SEC versus banking versus money services businesses and money transmitters, we knew that we had to follow the rules and we knew that we had to set up a compliance shop with best practices in mind. Perhaps, Arian, we could take a step back and I could ask a little bit more basic question, which is what is cryptocurrency and what is Bitcoin investing? I like to summarize it as simply as I can because I'm a lawyer and not a technology person. So for me, cryptocurrency is just money in a digital format that's protected cryptographically. So with cryptography, you know, it's a lot of mathematical algorithms set to secure the monetary value. It exists on blockchain, which allows it to maintain a transparent and public accounting settlement process. Most cryptocurrencies have some kind of utility. So for example, Ethereum is built to facilitate smart contracts. Bitcoin is the most public brand, so to speak. And the markets now exist where individuals can exchange the cash for these types of cryptocurrencies and in hopes that they might increase value. So that's where the investing part comes in, right? So if you hold on to them long enough, they may increase in value. Sounds like a lot of words strung together, but in a sense, it's not very different than the, the currency that we use now, other than it comes in a non-paper format. It just is something that is sent and transmitted over the internet. So a little bit earlier, you talked about some of the potential regulatory oversight that you either have, may have, or something else. And I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned securities regulators, you mentioned banking regulators, you mentioned financial services regulators, and perhaps a few others. What's the challenge for you as a GC in this type of business when you potentially have multiple regulators? Or is that just part of doing business? A little bit of both. So I would say having a the guidance with regard to cryptocurrency and which regulatory scheme we're supposed to follow being a little bit of a gray area, it sounds like a challenge initially. But I think that for me, it is one of the more fun aspects of being a general counsel and being in the cryptocurrency industry. It's not very often as a lawyer that I get to say things like my job is creative or that I get to be a creative thinker and a problem solver, as opposed to just kind of the pusher of the black or hardline rules. So. It's a very interesting area where you get a chance to develop what will become some of the best practices for the future. Now, that being said, there's plenty of room for regulatory guidance as well. We have figured out at Bitcoin IRA over the course of the past five years since I've been with them where we fit within, I would say, that regulatory scheme. But things are ever changing. And so we hear a lot from the different agencies in the news about what's going on and what might be changing here in the future. So for me, I just look at it as, I guess you could say it's a challenge, but for me, it's more of a creative and fun endeavor trying to build something that's new and hasn't been done before. So a part of my story is I'm a recovering trial lawyer and I burned out from that and went into the corporate world. And in my first corporate position, I did contracts and I thought it would be blah, 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 blah. But what I found was there were multiple levels of laws that I had to take into account. I had to take in the laws of the state of Texas. I had to take in laws, federal laws. 
had to take in company law policies and procedures. If we were doing a contract outside the United States, we had an international law and maybe one or more countries. And it's a long-winded way of me saying I pretty quickly saw it as a challenging five-dimensional chess game. And it strikes me listening to you that I hear you being challenged by a multidimensional chess game because there may be a regulatory framework you have to follow, but there may be others that you have to consider and we haven't even gotten outside the United States yet. So I was wondering, would that be a, a kind of a fair assessment that you have a multidimensional set of potential regulations you have to follow and incorporate into your everyday business? Absolutely. It's a multidimensional set of regulations, whether it be from our internal regulatory scheme, whether it's our internal policies and procedures. We have policies and procedures that are perhaps dictated to us through our vendor contracts, depending on who we do business with. We have different rules coming from the state regulators, federal regulators, and potentially abroad. But like I said, you know, you can look at it as a challenge, but I guess for me, that Rubik's Cube is also part of the joy, the excitement, the reason for being in a field like this as well. So let me ask, what is a crypto IRA and how does a consumer buy Bitcoin with a crypto IRA? It's not too different than your regular IRA. At Bitcoin IRA, you know, I can't speak for all different companies in this area, but at Bitcoin IRA, individuals can invest in various cryptocurrencies using funds from their retirement accounts. So it's really simple. You just log into our website at BitcoinIRA.com. You fill out a few online forms, you upload your ID, and the entire application takes minutes. And then you get to trade as soon as your funds arrive. So I like to think of it as very similar to your typical TD Ameritrade personal brokerage account. The difference is, is in this account, you can invest in cryptocurrencies as opposed to your typical index and mutual funds. One of the regulatory areas we didn't cover yet is data privacy and data security. Mm. Is that a big part of your job? And how do you address those concerns as well? Data security, privacy is of the utmost importance. It is something that we think about around here on a daily, weekly basis. It is an area that is ever-evolving, ever-changing, and something that's actually in the news quite often. We need to protect from hackers. We need to protect from inside threats. My CTO and I spend quite a bit of time on that. Now, I would like to get more specific, but unfortunately, Tom, I can't give my hackers a roadmap. So I've got to suffice it to say there then that we always endeavor to build the most safe platform and partner with the most prestigious cryptocurrency exchanges and custodians we can. And that's one of our safety features. But, you know, when it comes down to the cryptographic algorithms, that's got to be some of the special sauce we save for just the board. So we've talked about Bitcoin investing and cryptocurrency a little bit. So I wanted to maybe change the question, what you see down the road coming for your industry around regulation. You mentioned several potential regulators and several regulatory frameworks. Is there hope that you might get a single regulatory framework or do you think you'll be subjected to multiple departments or regulatory agencies and really have to continue to deal with a series of regulatory frameworks down the road? Financial institutions have consistently had to deal with multiple regulatory frameworks. The larger the financial institution, the more likely it is to have whether it's a deposit product and then an investment product, those products themselves, and depending on the financial institution's product roadmap, 
will be regulated by various institutions. You know, the FDIC is almost always a secondary regulator, for example. It's not generally a primary regulator. So even when I was at the FDIC, there was at least one or two or three regulators at the party when it came to examining financial institutions. I don't think that's going to change. It's really more of a situation where the product dictates the regulation more than the type of financial institution itself at this time. But I'd I'd say for cryptocurrency, there's a few regulatory challenges that are going to be specific. Biden had an executive order that came out, SEG Chair Gensler's three-part mission speech, and then we have Janet Yellen talking about cryptocurrency during her committee testimony. We know from these groups that more regulations are coming. It would be wonderful if perhaps one of these agencies comes out with some kind of jurisdiction that's leading the others so that there will be a consistent type of regulatory framework that we will we will be able to apply to cryptocurrencies. But the reality is, like I said, that financial institutions have been dealing with multiple regulators for years. So I don't really see too many changes other than changes to the specific rules we might have to apply to cryptocurrency products. Mary, and unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Bitcoin IRA, any of the topics you've touched upon or, or yourself, where would be the best place for them to go? The best place for anyone listening to go to learn more about cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency investing with retirement funds is bitcoinira.com. And also our sister company, digitaltrust.com, has plenty of information about investing in alternative assets from retirement accounts. And then as far as myself, you know, if you're very interested in figuring out how to be a general counsel or a chief compliance officer at a crypto company, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. So Marianne, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and I hope we can continue this conversation. Thanks, Tom. I very much appreciate the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.